0: that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Amen. Thank you, Laura. The, uh, towards the end of our worship service, we have the, the privilege of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good as we will take communion together. And we're looking forward to that today. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for letting us taste and see that you're good. Lord, thank you for being good. Lord, thank you so deeply for your mercy. That you would draw reprobates like me into your fold. Father, thank you for your intense, never ending love for your people. Lord, I pray that we would be done with our love of the stuff of earth and instead have a longing for you, a longing for you that is so deep and so heartfelt. That everything else on earth fades. Father, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would open up our hearts and transform us. Lord, turn our eyes to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, our creator and our redeemer, our sustainer of life. Father, I pray. That as I preach your word, that I would decrease and you would increase, for you alone are worthy of glory. In The name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. We had the uh, the fun, privileged Sunday evening of um, of being a part of our our neighborhood's first um, Halloween Reformation Day. Dressing up festival, whatever you want to call it, call it what you want. To, I don't care. Uh, we didn't get to it last year because there was this pandemic thing going on. This year the kids came out in droves, and it was awesome. This so one kid uh, came up and um, and he was dressed in this little green costume with a pointed green hat on, and he had a you know a, a little sword thing across his chest, and he had on tights and and curved up little moccasin things and. And his mom said, do you know who he is? And I said, yeah, looks like Robin Hood to me. And he was so disappointed. And he, he looked at Sandy and she said, uh, Peter Pan? I thought the kid was going to melt. And he was this video game character named Link. Who knew? Look like Robin Hood to me. Everybody was playing dress up pretending to be somebody that they weren't and you had to guess really good to figure out who that was we do the same thing we dress up we're good at it we're good at playing dress up we're good at the, putting on the facade and pretending to be somebody that we're not i mean the world encourages it and so we do it we we do it with each other and we do it with god We do it in the church, we do it outside the church. We play dress up, we play pretend. Uh, The Greeks had a word for that, it was called uh, being a hypocrite. Uh, Hypocrite means play actor, pretender. and Well, we're good at it. Jesus calls us to something deeper, something more. He calls us to something much greater, than just some elaborate religious dress-up game. He calls us to rejoice. But to rejoice in him and him alone, there is nothing greater. When Paul starts off this passage, he says, finally, my brothers. And it's not finally like this is the last thing he's going to say because it's not. Paul, I don't think Paul ever shuts up. This is not the last thing he's gonna say, but it is a transition from a lot of deep theology a, to a place of finally get this right. In other words, this is of utmost importance, my friends. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in everything else, and not simply rejoice, but to rejoice in the Lord, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Rejoice in the Lord. That is you know, a few words there, but they're very, very important. And we're going to spend a lot of our time this morning just on those. This command to rejoice in the Lord was set uh, in a city of opulence, a city of, of victory, a city of comfort, a city of, of great physical pleasure, uh, a city of great physical sin. Um, also set in, in, a, in a city with a great pressure to conform. From the the Roman side of things, there's a pressure to conform to Roman uh, government, Roman norms, uh, Roman uh, worship of the different gods, worship of Caesar. uh, A a Roman pressure to conform uh, all of your religious aspect, all of your life to that. There was a a pressure to conform from Pharisees, those that were Jews that were in the city, to, to leave Christianity behind or leave Roman worship behind and conform to Judaism. There was a pressure from some that were called Judaizers uh, that were uh, heavily influenced by Pharisees, but they were Christians. But they thought you ought to still act like a Jew, still ought to put on your play acting clothes, dress up like Link or Robin Hood or Peter Pan, dress up like a Jew, even if you're going to live... Uh, as, as a Christian, so there was tons of pressure from them, and so they brought this false teaching into the church at Philippi. You see that in a lot of Paul's writings. Uh, the book of Galatians is heavily influenced by that, but you see in John too, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, there's influence from the Judaizers there that the, the apostle John is writing against. Heavily influenced there. This gets a lot of press, a lot of, a lot of type in the, in the New Testament because it was so prevalent. Then, And now, it's still happening. There's still the pressure to to conform to to different sorts of laws. For the Judaizers, it was to conform to the circumcision, be physically circumcised. Uh, It was to conform to all the feasts, conform to all the laws, not just the Ten Commandments. But the Pharisees had put together another 613 codicils to those commandments. And then some of those, like... uh, keep the Lord's day holy, well, that was, they had another over a thousand that were just addressed to that. So there were thousands of these laws and, and sub-laws and sub-sub-sub-laws that you had to keep. There was, the, there was the circumcision. When it says keep the circumcision, what they're talking about is not just that physical act, but everything that went along with Judaism, all of the feasts, they were, the Judaizers wanted the Christians, the new Christians, to Engage in all of those, or they just weren't good Christians. For the Judaizers, the, the Pharisees, the Romans, the pressure on the new church was to conform to to the religious political parties. See, they they were all in mesh. They were they they were just one. I mean, the, the Romans' politics, right? Political party, government. But, but very much all in mess with, with Roman religion. Worship Caesar as God. It wasn't a, an invitation, it was a command. Uh, for the Pharisees, they were a political party in Rome, political party in Jerusalem, but very much a religious party as well. We might not understand that in our setting today, although sometimes it seems like there's a, there's a lot of that. But, but for them, it was the way things were. It was the norm. So when the Judaizers come in, and they're trying to influence the church. There's also a political pressure, but very much a heavy, heavy, heavy religious pressure with political leanings. There's traditions that were heavily influencing what the Judaizers were teaching the Christians. What, was, what Paul was, was writing the letter about was that the church at Philippi was letting all of these other things influence Christianity. The religious political leanings, the traditions of the elders, the traditions of Rome, the traditions of Philippi, the traditions of their upbringing, the culture of their family. As they were letting all of those things influence and define Christianity. So if you had looked in their actual dictionary, it might not have said Christianity, the worship of Christ, It might have said, if you could really spell out the invisible ink, Christianity, the worship of Christ as defined by these cultures, these traditions, these sects. Do we do the same thing? Sure we do. I do it. You do it. We do it. We do it all over the world, which is why Paul went to such great lengths in nearly every one of his letters to spell that out and instruct us that there's a different way. Well, you might say, well, what's wrong with this pressure to keep the feast or to keep the circumcision or to to keep the law? Shouldn't everyone keep the law? Well, yes and no. If you're keeping the law as a way of earning favor with God... Then you've missed, as James calls it, the perfect law that brings freedom. You've missed Jesus. You've said, Jesus is good, but I need to add to him. Something's got to go there because Jesus will share glory with nothing. Either those things will define Christianity or Christianity will define those things. What's wrong with just the pressure just to keep the law? Well, one thing is that it assumes that we're capable of it. It it assumes we're capable of keeping all the law. Uh, And and we know that if we were capable of keeping the law, then then Jesus Christ died for nothing. So we're not capable of keeping the law. If even one person were capable of keeping the law, then Jesus Christ would not have been here. But none of us are capable of that. So God sends his only son that we might have life eternal. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. And wretches like you. It assumes that we're capable of keeping the law. Second thing is it mocks the plan of God. Uh, this, that pressure to, to keep that by the Judaizers, it mocks Jesus Christ. It mocks the crucifixion of Christ. It mocks the resurrection of Christ. It mocks the word of God. Third thing that's wrong with it is that it leads us to a false identity, a false identity of, of us as God. It pretends that we are somehow God, little G, God, and that, that God, big G, had a plan, but it wasn't good enough. Therefore, we must add to it. And say, well, that's not really what I'm doing. It really is. we not, man, I think that's what we're doing. But whenever we, we have this idea in our minds and our hearts that we need to add to what God has done, Thank you, Jesus, for that, but I need to add to it. I need to be a good this, a good that, a good this, a good that in order to, bring, to have favor with you. Then what we're doing is we're saying, God, you did a good job, but I can do better. It leads us to that false identity of us as a little G, God, with a pride of performance and self-centeredness and a great lack of humility. Because false teaching focuses on self and it steals the love from God. And love from others. Finally, at least to a shallow or a non-existent repentance. In Mark, Jesus calls us to repent and believe. Not just believe with our heads, but to repent and believe. Both of those things go together. They're two sides of the same coin, but you get one coin, you get them both. If you truly believe Jesus Christ, then repentance will happen. And you will only repent if you truly believe Jesus Christ. They have to go together. If we have somehow this idea that, that, yeah, God, you did a good job, but I can do better by keeping the feast and keeping the little laws in order to earn favor, in order to put on my dress-up clothes and be a good little religious person. If we go in that direction, what's, what's happening is we're, we're saying that we don't need to repent. we well, might we might repent of the big things you know the things that people discover in us but we're not going to repent of all the little things in our heart our judgmental soul our complaining and our whining we're not going to compl- complain or we're not going to repent of those things because well we can we can do better on the outside and nobody's going to see the difference when we imagine or we put pressure on others to keep all of these traditions or cultures or the laws of the Judaizers, then we're heading towards a place where repentance doesn't need to happen anymore because we've changed the game and we've redefined Christianity. And Christ will not share his glory with another. So Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord, not in anyone else or anything else, but to rejoice in the Lord. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us the word of God that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the training in righteousness needs to happen. Why? Because you and I need to be trained in, in righteousness. Why does the correcting need to happen? Well, because we need correcting. And the rebuking, why does rebuking need to happen? Because we need to be rebuked. Who needs that? Is it the person that just became a believer yesterday? Or is it everyone else? Is it the person that's been a believer for 90 years and tomorrow they'll meet Jesus face to face? Yes! It's all of us. Every man, woman, and child needs rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness from the Word of God. We rejoice in the Lord alone. And the reality is that until we see Jesus face to face, my friends, you and I will need to, to know how to do that better, how to rejoice in him and him alone better, because there's always something inside, this longing to take control of our soul. In Isaiah, we read that all, um, we, we read that um, all of our righteousness, our self-righteousness, is just filthy rags. It's just filthy rags. It doesn't get us anywhere. I love to work on cars. Uh, It's one reason I miss my garage um, because I can't work on cars out in the cold in Maryland. It just doesn't work so well. So uh, one day I'm working on a Jeep and uh, it's it's in the garage and I'm working, I'm changing out an air compressor or air conditioning compressor in the Jeep and someone walks in the garage and they're talking to me and and I'm distracted. I know this is not going to end well. Because you can't do that kind of work and be distracted. At least I can't. Maybe you can't. I can't. I'm not that good. And so um, I'm distracted talking to this person, and I lean back in and I cut the wrong line. And um, compressor oil goes everywhere, it's under pressure. And I mean, when I say it goes everywhere, it goes everywhere. My glasses are smeared with it, it's all over my face, it's all over my shirt. It's all over the front of the Jeep. It's all over the garage floor. So what do I do? Well, after I, you know, apologize for what I said at that moment, I I, I take off my my oil-covered T-shirt, and I begin to try to wipe down the front of the Jeep with an oil-covered T-shirt. That didn't go so well. It just smears it all up. And thinking well this isn't going well I get down on my hands and knees and I begin to try to wipe up all of the compressor oil from the garage floor with an oil covered t-shirt and guess what I did I just spread it around it just became more messy when we try to add our righteousness to Christ that's what we're doing we're just spreading our sin around and actually making it more messy instead of cleaning it up We have to have Jesus. We have to have Jesus and Jesus alone, rejoice in Christ alone. Paul says it's it's good, it's safe for us that he reminds us uh, of this and it's no trouble to him. Why is it no trouble to him? Because he's in prison. What are they gonna do to him? He's in prison, he knows he's heading towards death. So what are they gonna do to him? And the The thing is, but even when he wasn't in prison and heading towards death, he still did this stuff. The guy had the courage and and, and love for Jesus Christ, born of grace and mercy and a gratitude that knew no end. It was no trouble for him, but it was also safe for them and for us to be reminded to rejoice in Christ alone. Because the the Philippians and us, we we create alternatives and and rejoice in, in these things and those things and that things and those things. And we rejoice in a wide variety of things. If you live in the state of Alabama, really anywhere in the deep south, this time of year, you see that kind of rejoicing. had an elder in my first church in Montgomery, Alabama. He's a huge Alabama football fan, University of Alabama football fan. And it was, it was so bad, it was almost funny. If Alabama won the football game, he would show up the next day in a crimson-colored sport coat. And if they lost, he didn't come to church at all and you think I'm kidding. (laughs) Something's messed up with that. To rejoice in the Lord alone. What is your stopping place? His stopping place was if Alabama lost. What is your stopping place? At what point do you cease to rejoice in the Lord alone? Would you still rejoice in Jesus if you were in prison because of him? Would you? Would you still rejoice in Jesus if he didn't approve of your sexual lifestyle? Or what if he didn't approve of your political party or your candidate? Would you still rejoice in Jesus? Would you? Would you still rejoice in Jesus if he calls you to live on one tenth of your income instead of living on 90%? He's calling you to live on 10%. Would you still rejoice in Jesus? Would you still rejoice in Jesus if he takes away all your income? Or if he calls you to sing different songs on a Sunday morning? Would you still rejoice in Jesus? Would you rejoice in Jesus if he he calls you to watch different stuff at home? Or calls you to give up twisted truths and half truths? Would you still rejoice in Jesus if He if He put something in place so that you weren't allowed to go to college? Or conversely, you were required to go to college. <laughs> or some of you Navy guys were required to go to the Army. Would you still rejoice in Jesus? Would you rejoice in Jesus if you took away the option of a Christian education or a homeschooling education? Would you still rejoice in Jesus Christ? What if you took away the option of a public education, which is the case in many countries in the world, so that you had to pay for it? Would you still rejoice in Jesus? Where's your stopping point? Would you still rejoice in Jesus Christ if you took away your country, or your husband, or your wife, or your child? Would you still rejoice in Jesus Christ alone at that point? What's our stopping place? At what point do we cease to rejoice in Jesus Christ? Or at what point do we find out that when all else is gone, Jesus truly is all I have left? And do I rejoice in Jesus at that point? Is it really only those things and those ideologies that we long for rather than longing for Jesus Christ? That's where Paul is taking this church and this passage in Philippi and in here, is Jesus truly enough for them? Is Jesus truly enough for you, for me, for us? Is he truly enough? Paul boasts in Jesus Christ and longs for Jesus Christ because he has come to that place where Christ is enough. He, he writes with experience. He's been there. He's done that. He gives us his resume of where he's been And he instructs us to long for Christ alone. Look at where he's been and who he was. Verse 4. We'll start in verse 3. For we are the circumcision. He's saying we are the heart circumcision. Our heart is is circumcised, transformed, marked with identity in Jesus Christ. Who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. This is Paul's resume. Okay. A resume is a boast. It's a saying of, uh, uh, it's a piece of paper that says, This is who I am when you're looking for a job. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Yeah, go Paul. Uh, As if he had something to do with that. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul is the real deal. As to the Jew, or as to the law, a Pharisee. He was keeping the utmost of the law. He kept the 10, he kept the 613, he kept all the other little laws, big laws, everything. Everybody knew that when Paul walked down the street, here came a powerful Pharisee, a law keeper to the nth degree. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church, y'all. I was killing you guys as to righteousness under the law I was blameless that was his resume but then he says what whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord that was his resume and he put it all aside he burned all that resume up to follow Jesus Christ and Christ alone His resume had a change to it after that. Look back, if if you can, to 2 Corinthians in chapter 11. Let's read a bit of of what Paul's resume became after he began to follow Christ. At the end of verse 21, he says, I also dare to boast of that. Are the Hebrews? So am I. Are the Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? Yep, me too. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. How's that for a resume? Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 39 lashes was all you could give to a Roman citizen. Because Paul was a Roman citizen, they had to stop at 39. They couldn't go to 40. But my friends, if 40 lashes will kill you, 39 will kill you. He received that five different times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, And hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Paul traded in one resume for another when he began to follow Christ. If you're in this place with Paul and you're walking down those roads with him, receiving those beatings and those lashes and those shipwrecks, will you still rejoice in Jesus Christ and Christ alone? In chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content. With weakness. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities. <sighs> For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Paul knows that his strength is not found in himself, but it's found in Christ and Christ alone. Galatians 6:14. Paul boasts in Christ and Christ alone. He says, May I never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ through which I have been crucified through the world and the world to me. Or in verse 3 of this very passage, Philippians 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Or in verse 9, and be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness on my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What is your resume, and what do you boast, and who do you long for? This resurrection longing that Paul has is a longing to be like Christ, a longing to be with Christ I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. It's a longing that begets more longing that increases longing. The closer you get to him, the more you long for him. My friends, the stuff of earth will never satisfy you the way Christ will, never. We long for the stuff of earth because there's something in us that has a longing for something greater. But don't make the mistake of thinking the stuff of earth is Christ because it's not. It is a cheap alternative, no matter how great it might be. It is but a shadow that points towards Jesus Christ, just as the Passover in the Old Testament was a shadow that pointed towards the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The stuff of earth are mere shadows. Verse 10 and 11 Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. My friends, if you follow Jesus Christ you have that attainment of the resurrection from the dead because you have Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, you have that. You have life eternal with him. So what's Paul saying? He's saying I want to live out the reality of that here on earth. I want that resurrection power to live out who Christ has called me to be, putting all the other stuff aside and my eyes firmly fixed on Jesus Christ, that I may rejoice in Him and Him alone, so that on the day when I see Him face to face, I will recognize Him as He is, for I have followed Him that closely my whole life through. Paul has a longing for Christ that increases longing. I think of that scene in the last battle with C.S. Lewis when they're approaching Aslan's land, and the unicorn says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. Aslan roars, Come further up. Come further in. And all the others take up the cry, the dogs and the humans and the the badgers, they take up the cry, come further up, come further in. My friend, the more you taste of Jesus Christ, the more you want Jesus Christ. The more you long for Christ, the more everything else on earth fades. And the more and the more and the more you long for him, that is so easy for you and I to be sidetracked and leave Christ beside us alone. Uh, out in the cold and we focus on the other stuff of life my friends fix your eyes on jesus christ run instead to christ and taste and see taste and see that the lord he is good and he is yours will you pray with me father i pray that you'll help us to taste and see that you indeed are good that you indeed are good father i pray that you would help us to rejoice in christ's in Christ alone. That other things may be good and great upon this earth. But Christ, you are, you are the only one that is worthy of glory and worthy of our rejoicing. Lord, help us to rejoice in you. Oh, Father, I pray that you would show us those places in our life, in our thinking, and in our loves. Where we have sought alternatives to you, where we've built other things up as if they are, well, as if they are Christianity. And Lord, help us to put those things aside and to run hard after Jesus, to run further up and further in, closer to you, our Redeemer, our friend and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.